how would you rate the pace of your life? Like on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate just what you have going on Monday to Sunday? Like, like, what is your pace? Like, for some of you, you might say, well, hey, you know, I'm kind of retired right now, and it, it slowed down for a little bit, but now I'm busier than I've ever been, right? I'm like an eight. Some of you may have little ones at home. You might have a four-year-old who uh, likes to, to jump from couch to couch and swing from the chandeliers. You might be like, My, I'm at a 12. Like, right now, I'm at a 12. And some of you guys are in the middle, somewhere in between. But the reality is, all of us have a pace. And here's the question, how happy are you with the pace of your life? How much are you actually getting to enjoy life because of the pace of your life? A few weeks ago, Courtney and I, we were messing around, pulling up some old YouTube videos, and um, we wanted to introduce the girls to our culture, right? Growing up as an 80s kid. How many of you grew up on Looney Tunes, right? Before school, after school, you know, Bugs Bunny, right? I mean, Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner were my, were my go-tos, right? So Courtney and I, we'd pull up some old, and, and of course the kids are looking at like, what's going on? They're not talking. There's no moral of the story, right? There's like no be kind language going on. Like no, in the 80s, it was all about just dropping anvils and bombs on people, <laughs> right? But I love it. And I don't know which one you identify more with. I feel like I'm the Roadrunner, right? I'm like, you know, right? Just all over the place. I think Courtney's Wiley Coyote, right? She's trying to catch me. Like, she's just like trying to like blow things up to, to stop me and divert me. And chances are one of you guys, or chances are all of you are one of those. How many of you guys are the roadrunner? You just feel like, man, life is so fast. I'm just cruising at 100 miles an hour. How many of you are Wiley Coyote? You guys are like, I'm just trying to catch up to life and I just can't do it. I think we all find ourselves somewhere in this picture. The reality is that life is fast. And now we're all moving at a pace that's probably faster than we really want it to move at. Why is that? Well, I think it's because we're busy, right? I mean, just this week, just go ask somebody how they're doing and take a poll. How, how many times when you say, hey, how was your week? Oh, it was good, but it was busy. Like nine out of 10 people are going to say, hey, it was, it was good, but it was busy. Like you're never going to hear somebody say, you know, I just watched Netflix all week. Really, I didn't do anything, right? And if that's what you did, actually, you were busy watching Netflix all week, Right? Like, there's always something to do and always something to be. The reality is we are busy people. I mean, think about it. We just are, are, are busy with work. I think one of the, the silver linings that everybody thought with the pandemic was, well, you know, we're going to be able to slow down. And for a couple of weeks, we, we slowed down a little bit. And, but now everybody's working from home. And, you know, you've got email on your phone. And it's just it's impossible to not stay on duty all the time. You know, there was a, a study that came out. Recently, and it looked at the, the amount of hours that people on average work uh, by country. And it was interesting. If you look at this study, it says that as Americans, we, we work on average 137 more hours per year than, than uh, Japanese workers. We work on average 260 more hours than British workers. And we work on average 499 more hours than French workers. My French buddies have it figured out. I just think they've got, they've got it figured out, right? The four-day work week thing. Another study said that two-thirds of, of, of ladies work more than 40 hours a week and four-fifths of men work 40 work more than 40 hours a week. So we're, we're just working a lot. We, we are busy. And if we're not at the office or logged in at home, chances are we're still pulling out our phones and checking our email when we shouldn't, right? Like it's, it's all at our, our fingertips. But we're not just busy with work. We're just busy with life. We're busy with play, especially if you're in Denver. If you're not from here, which I think in a room this size, there's like one person from here. Everybody else is from somewhere else. Like a lot of you moved here because of what you see when you look out the, the, the window, 
Because in the mountains is everything. And there's always another trail to hike, another trail to bike, right? There's always another mountain to conquer and another 14er to tackle. There's always something to do in God's beauty and God's creation. And we feel like we need to do it all. But, and plus, just mix in the fact that like, there's podcasts to listen to and there's video, movies to watch. And i got to stay up on what new TikTok trends are out there. I mean, it's just it's impossible to slow down. We're all moving so fast. And I think because of this, we find ourselves in a world with all this pressure, pressure to do more, to be more, to have more, to achieve more, and we're tired because we're running at 100 miles an hour. And we find ourselves in a place where we are just exhausted. We're physically exhausted. We're spiritually exhausted. We're mentally exhausted. We are just tired, and we are just worn out. But I don't know that the reason for that is just because we're, in a, we're, we're busy. So I think the reason that we're so tired all the time is because we're in a hurry. You know, there's, there's this um, concept that psychology has been, has been uh, researching and studying. It's called hurry sickness. You guys heard about this? Hurry sickness. And so it's just as you hurry and as you move from one place to another and as you're too busy, your, your body produces too much cortisol, which is a chemical your body produces, and it, it ends up doing some really bad things to your health. They say, to your health. They say that, that um, because of too much cortisol, it leads to depression, it leads to burnout, affects personal relationships, it isolates us. And so if you're dealing with hurry sickness, you feel it. Like you feel it deep, like into your bones. So I think this is why Dallas Willard says that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. So I wonder, when we think about life, we think about business, we think about the pace we're keeping, are we missing something? Like, where do we go wrong? Where do we take a left turn? See, if we look at Genesis chapter 2 and we ask that question, what are we missing? God would say, you're missing something really big. See, in Genesis chapter 2, God reveals to, to us something that I think has the power to change our life. So the problem is, most of us have missed it. So grab your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2. We're just going to camp out in three verses, the very beginning of Genesis chapter 2. Because I think if we look at this, we're going to see that the beginning of Genesis 2 provides a gift and a treasure for the exhausted person. Now, here's the thing. At first, it's not going to look like a treasure or a gift. See, at first, when we see in Genesis 2, it's going to look antiquated. You're going to say, no, 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 that doesn't make sense. Not in 2022. I mean, maybe in 1962, but not, not now. And it's not going to look like a gift. It's actually going to seem like a hindrance and kind of a nuisance. But I think if you fold back the pages, you're going to see that it's actually something beautiful that does have the power to change the way you live your life today and tomorrow. So over the past couple of weeks, if you've been with us, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis. And we've spent three weeks in Genesis chapter 1. And we're seeing that God's telling us all of these beautiful things about creation. He's creating light, and he's creating water and atmosphere, and he's creating dry ground, and then he's giving a purpose to what he created with life. He's filling it with life. He's filling it with purpose. So we have six days of this really beautiful thing, and then as we talked about last week on day six, we see that God creates mankind. He says, hey, you are my image bearers. You're going to rule and govern this world that I've created. And then we flip over to chapter two, and we see day seven in God's creation account, and we see something really kind of obscure happen. Look with me, if, if you would. We see that God rests. Genesis 2, chapter, or Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Read with me. Moses writes this. He says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, these six, six days of creation. Thus the heavens and the earth were, were finished, and all of all the host of them, in verse 2, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from his, his work that he had done. 
So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. For six days God creates and on the seventh day God rests. But isn't that, isn't that interesting? Like, like, if you look at that, I don't know about you, but the first time I read that I thought, well, why does God need to rest? Like, isn't God all powerful? I mean, doesn't Psalm 121 say that God never sleeps? Nor does he slumber? Like, does, does God, like, just, you know, did he just extend all of, his infer- all of his power and his energy and those six days of creation, and now he's got to rest? You, you know, the Bible talks a lot about that, that God is, you know, is all powerful and, and that he's, uh, he, he's got the, the ability to, to, to create and to do all these things, and he never really needs to slow down. So why on day seven does God rest? I mean, God made 98 billion light years worth of universe. I mean, I'd need to rest. I mean, you guys would need to rest. But see, God doesn't need to rest. So I think there's something that God is telling us in this day seven account. So I don't think God's telling us that, that he needed a day off or he needed a vacation. I think he's telling us day seven, not for him, but for us. See, I think God is modeling something that is critical for us to understand, that we're not built to be busy all the time that we're not built to run at this frantic pace all the time. We're not designed to live in a rush all the time. We are actually designed to slow down and rest. So notice here, he's talking about God resting. Let me ask you, when was the last time you really felt rested? Like, like seriously, think, think to yourself, have you felt rested in the last week? If you've got little kids at home, you can't even spell rest, right? You're like, let's start with an R. I'm not even sure. Some of you guys, you may say, ah, that vacation I took was fun, like day three, but then we went to Disney World, and then I came back home, and I needed a vacation for my vacation, right? Right? hey, I had a day off a few weeks ago, and it was nice. I got to hang out for like an hour. You know, I recharged a little bit. But is that really rest? When was the last time you really rested? So I think by God telling us that he rested on day seven, he's getting us a pattern. He's giving us a rhythm for life. And if we, again, if we can take this seriously, it can change our lives. See, notice back here, verse one and two, we see that God is developing this rhythm. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, verse two, and he rested. Now, that's interesting. The Hebrew, Hebrew word for rest here is the, the Hebrew word Shabbat. Say that with me, Shabbat. So it's this idea of Sabbath, right? That's the, that's the word we get the word Sabbath from, that Hebrew word, Shabbat. And, and this word literally means to stop. Like Shabbat means to, to stop. Later on, when your kids are zooming through the living room later, you're like, Shabbat! See if they have any idea what you're saying. But it's, it's to stop, it's to cease. It's not just to pause. Like it's this like full out stop, Shabbat. And it's this idea of, of, of like looking over all that you've done and delighting over everything that you have done that day. So I imagine God, right? It's day, it's day seven. God has created, I mean, all of the beauty that you see in the universe, stars. He's created the mountains. He's created the ocean. He's created the fish. He's done all these things. And then on day seven, God sits back and he goes, ah, look at all this. And he put, cracks or pours himself in Arnold Palmer. And maybe he's hanging out with Arnold Palmer, Right? And he looks out on all that he's made and he says, it's good. It's very good. This idea, like he took a full stop. When's the last time you took a full stop? Like, seriously. Has it been recent? This week? Last month? 
last year, 1987? I mean, really, when was it? Like the last time you took a full stop. God takes a full stop. But God didn't need to take the full stop. God took the full stop not for him but for me. And he took it for you. Because, again, he wants to teach you something, a pattern and a rhythm for your life that we miss because we blow through this and we're like, hmm, did God create in seven days? How exactly does this work? And God's saying on seven day, I'm actually teaching you something amazing about how to complete your life. But slow down long enough to see it. So God works six days, and he rests for one. But notice, he doesn't just rest. He's not just like, ah, that's it. Notice what else he does. Look at verse 3. See, in verse 3, it says that God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because God on it rested from all his work that he had done. I want you to notice something. If you get your Bibles, flip flip back one page, right, because we're only two pages into the Bible, and we're like a month in, right? We made it two pages. Chapter 1. In chapter 1, God blesses two things. And in chapter 2, God blesses a third, right? So there's only three things that God's blessed. Notice, what is it that God's blessed? Well, in, in chapter 1, verse 22, we see that God blesses the animals. And then in chapter 1, verse 28, we see that God blesses mankind. Why? Why do you think God blesses animals and then mankind? Notice what he says in those two, in those two verses. He says, be fruitful and multiply. See, God blessed them to be fruitful and multiply, to to fill the earth. God gave them purpose, and he blessed them to do it. So God is saying, go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. It's a life-giving blessing. Okay, hold on to that. It's a life-giving blessing to animals and to mankind. Why would God bless the seventh day? Why does God rest and then bless the seventh day? Could it be that there there is an indication in that blessing? See, I think what, what, what it's saying is this. By blessing the Sabbath, God is saying that the, that the day of rest is life-giving. You guys catch that? Like, like just like God blessed animals and, and he blessed people, he blessed the seventh day because that is where you are going to get your life-giving rest and resources from. Because we know life is tiring. Life is fast. Life is busy. Life is a hurry. And, and even if you love where you work and you love what you do and you love spending time at home with your kids and your grandkids or your nieces and nephews, you're tired. So what you need is this blessing from God so you can have the energy to actually live the life that you were created to live. So, so rest is good because God blessed it. But notice not else. God blesses it. But what else does he do? Look back at verse 3. He also made it holy. What does it mean to be holy? I know sometimes we get this picture of holy as this holier than now thing. When God makes something holy, he's setting it apart. So God takes day seven, blesses it as something life-giving, and then he, he makes it holy. He sets it apart as something special, something special that God has created. Now, I want you to think back to, if you've been with us, the past few weeks, think back to how we're learning to, to read Genesis 1. We're, we're learning to ask questions, right? What are some of the questions we're, we're learning to ask? We're learning to, to um, ask the question, not how, but who, right? And not when, but why? Okay, so not how, but who. Not, not, maybe not when, but, but also why. And we also are asking the question, what would this have meant to the Israelites, right? What would this have meant to this ancient Near, people, Near East people who had been rescued from slavery? And now they're hearing about this God that they saw just part the Red Sea, and they saw bring all these plagues and locusts and darkness and turn the river to blood and all these weird things. And they're like, who is this guy? And so God's revealing things about himself to the people. And God loves to use what? Context. Context is key. God loves to use context because it helps us make sense of our world. So if God was speaking to us, he'd use things that we understand, just like he's speaking to them and using things that they understand. Get this picture. 
in, in Egypt and many of the other ancient Near East cultures, what they would do is when they built a new temple, here's a picture of a temple in Egypt. When they had built a new temple, what they would do is they'd build it and then for, they'd let it sit for six days. And then on the seventh day, they'd bring in their little statue god, little G, and they'd set it in the temple. And what do you think that that little statue god was doing in the temple on the seventh day? He was resting. So they would build a temple, let it sit for six days, they'd bring this little statue in, they'd set it down, he'd rest day seven, and then he would have dominion, sovereignty over that temple, right, in that area. So God, is, the, the Israelites would have known this, right? This is, this is Egyptian culture. And so, get this, God is saying, hey, for six days, I created all this. For six days, I did all of this. And then on seventh day, I came in and I rested. God is saying, I'm the one that made all this. And I'm the one who has power over this. And I'm the one who has sovereignty over all of it. Those little gods, they thought they had that little temple or this little region. No, no. I got it all. And on day seven, I'm declaring my sovereignty that this is mine. And guess what? I made you. You are little likenesses of me, little image bearers. I want you to rest too because this is yours too. See, the Israelites would have, get, would have understood this. For us, we, we miss it. But something powerful in this idea that God's saying, I made all of this and I made you in my likeness. Come, welcome home. Welcome home. This is yours. To enjoy it. But to enjoy it the right way, follow my lead and rest on day seven. So God resting on day seven is for us. It's to give us a rhythm and a pattern for life. But here's the question we all want to know. Okay, God says six days on, one day off. Here's what we all want to know. If you don't want to know this, you do, actually. I know you're thinking it. Do we have to do this? We're like, God, do I really have to do this? Because I'm so busy. Like, God, do I really have to do this? Because, I mean, have you seen my schedule, God? On Saturdays, I got swim team. I got soccer, right? On Sundays, I got church, and they keep asking me to volunteer. <laughs> I got football games to watch. I got all these things. I got to get ready for school the next day. I got five days of work. Friday night's the only night I get to go out to dinner with my family. God, have you seen my schedule? I do not have any time to do this. So do, do I have to do this? And as Christians, looking back on Jesus through the cross, we see that Jesus came and fulfilled the law. And so, no, you don't. But you only should do it if you want to flourish. You don't have to do it, but you only should do it if you want to live a good life. You don't have to do it, especially if you don't want your life to be good, if you don't want things to be great. Don't do it if you don't want to follow God's plan. See, I think God is telling us like, something really powerful here. You don't have to do it. It just depends on how good you want your life to be. H.H. Farmer, which is an awesome name, by the way, H.H. Farmer, he says this. He says that if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. And I wonder if one of the reasons that we're exhausted and worn out, beat up, burned out, is because we're just full of splinters. Because we've been going against the grain of the way God made the world to work. So could God be giving us the key to living the life that he's created us to live? I think so. But we've got to learn to read the Bible for all it's worth. Because the Sabbath was pretty important. And it's important enough that God puts it in the Ten Commandments. And again, are we, are, are we, do we have to follow the law? No, Jesus fulfilled the law. But 
Let me ask you, when you look at the Ten Commandments, God's saying some pretty important things, right? Like, don't kill people. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't, like, date your neighbor's wife or husband. Like, those, these are, like, pretty important keys to life, right? Like, to, to try to live. And in the middle of that, God gives us this commandment about Sabbath. And actually, if you took a pie chart, if the Ten Commandments were a, were the, were, were a pizza, the, the commandment on, on observe the Sabbath is, would be 30% of that pizza. Like there's more real estate devoted to the Sabbath than there is anything else in the Ten Commandments. I would say it's probably pretty important. So it's probably pretty important that we understand what God has to say. And so what I want to do for just a moment here is I want to just kind of pick apart these two commandments because we see God give it twice. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. And God's going to give us this, this commandment twice. And I think each of them are going to give us a, a different angle to what he's trying to say about Sabbath. So I just want to pick this apart real quick. Over the last year, I, I've talked a couple times about this book that has changed my life. And if you haven't bought it yet, buy it, check it out, download it. You need it. This book, John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. We had a life group that studied it last semester. I mean, it is a game changer. And in this book is a, is a chapter on Sabbath. It's the best chapter I've read on Sabbath. I think it's so good. It just brings a smile to your face when you read it. And so some of what I'm going to talk about, I'm going I'm to pull from what John Mark Comer ha- has had to say about the Sabbath. I couldn't highly recommend this book more to you. Um, so yeah, go ahead and grab that. I'll lend you my copy if, if you want. But it, it's, it really offers some great insights. Okay, Exodus 20. If you have your Bibles, you want to flip it, you can. Otherwise, it's a long verse. Let's put it on the screens. Exodus 20, God is, um, he, he's rescued the Israelites out of slavery, and God is now giving them the law. He's giving them these Ten Commandments. He's saying, hey, you're going to follow me. I'm going to take you to the promised land, and at, at some point here, uh, you're, you're going to kind of run into uh, to all this crazy chaos and culture. So, so let me tell you what you need to know, okay? Don't worship any other gods. Don't, you know, don't, uh, don't lie. Don't steal. All these things. And notice what he says. Verse, um, verse 8. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is Sabbath to your Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's pretty important that God gives it to us in the Ten Commandments. So, so why? What are we supposed to take away from this? What is he talking about? I want you to notice this idea of Sabbath. God is telling us something specific about what to do that day. And I want you to notice. You might say, well, what really is Sabbath? What should I do on the Sabbath when I rest? Well, let me tell you really quickly what this verse says Sabbath is not. Sabbath is not a day off. Like, Sabbath isn't a day off. What do you do on your day off? Well, you run errands, right? You go to the store, you scream at the TV, right, because your team can't seem to get it together. You do all these things that you're not at work but are kind of work, right? You're doing yard work, you're shoveling snow, whatever it is, right? Like a day off, you're doing things, prepping, grocery shopping, whatever, right? That, that, that's a day off. A day off is, is laboring over some other things. I mean, you might be making some amazing ribs and spending six hours over that amazing smoker and just hearing the little tss, tss, and it's beautiful, but it's still work, right? Come on, it's still work. It's good to enjoy, but it's still work. Like, you still work on your day off. Okay, so it's not a day off. What is it? Is it a vacation? It's not a vacation either. It's not a vacation unless you take one-day vacations, which wouldn't be any good anyways. It's not a vacation because on a vacation, what do you do? 
Busy, 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 busy. Got to go see this. Got to go do that. Got to go eat this place. Got to try that. This is what Yelp said. Ooh, this was TripAdvisor's top two restaurants. We got to go there for breakfast. Like you're tired. You get home and again, you need a day off from a vacation. So it's not a day off. It's not a vacation. It's something else. What is it? Well, before we talk about what it is, let me just admit something to you. I'm not very good at this. I'm learning. And I I, uh, have been experimenting and working on this. And so I'm with you. We're going to be on this journey together. The tastes I've had of this are amazing. It's beautiful. But it's it's difficult. So let's just just know that going in. Like learning how to develop a rhythm that God tells us is best for us is is hard. But it's what we need to know. So so I'm with you guys. We're walking together through this. But it's that important. So what is Sabbath? Here's the first thing that, that Exodus 20 tells us. Sabbath is meant for rest and worship. Like Sabbath isn't a vacation, so I can go to Disney World and I can see all these things, or I can go in the mountains and, and do all these crazy things. Sabbath could be a day in the mountains, depends on you, but Sabbath is a day for rest and for worship. Sabbath isn't a day off because you're doing all these worky, worky-ish things, right? No, no, Sabbath is a day for rest and worship. Notice what John Mark Comer says. He says that the Sabbath day is a day God has all my attention, fully available to family and friends, not a to-do list. It's a day to reconnect with body and soul, a day to celebrate, and a day for delight. See, that's why, that's why Sabbath can't be a day off work. Because when you're off work, man, everything's got your attention. Kids, house, all these things. That's why Sabbath can't be a vacation day or, or a vacation week. Be, be, because by the end of it, you're, you're, you're burned out. Rest is different. Like This idea of rest is, is something amazing. How, how many of you guys... Um, charge your phone every night before you go to bed. Hopefully more of you than, than that. Or your phone's always dead. But your, your phone, let's say you start your phone off at, at, you know, 100%, and by the end of the day, it's at zero because your kids have been playing Roblox or you've been playing too much Subway Surfers. And, and by the end of the day, it's dead. You throw it back on the charger. But let me ask you, how many of your phones don't keep the charge all day? How many of you got to plug it in before the end of the day? How many of you keep a charger in your car? Your office. Ladies, you keep one in the purse, right? How many of you keep one of those little power banks, right? You keep it in your back pocket just in case you need it, right? The reality is our phones drag down just like our bodies drag down and, and, and run down fast. And here's the thing. A day off work or, or even a vacation is like pulling out a charger in your office and plugging it in real quick. It gives you a little bit of a charge back, but it's not going to fully recharge you. It's like carrying that power bank in your purse and you plug it back in. That's like a day off, right? You get a couple hours to yourself. Maybe you, you get some morning time, but it's never enough. It doesn't fully charge you. You need to, that phone needs to be on the charger all night long to get recharged. You need the Sabbath to recharge you. This is what God's plan for you is. Do you need to sleep? Yes, please. <laughs> please sleep. But if you're not rested, you'll never be the best version of you. Gavin Johnson says this. I love this quote. He says that rest is not the absence of chaos. We think it is, right? We're like, man, vacation, day off. I got to get away from this craziness. It's got to be the absence of chaos. No, rest is not the absence of chaos. Rest is the presence of God. That's why Sabbath is rest and worship. And what it is is God's giving us this invitation. He's giving us invitation, and he's saying, come and join me. And when we yell, I don't have time, God, have you seen my schedule? That is the invitation that we need Sabbath more than anything else right now in our lives. So God's inviting us into a rest that comes from rest and worship. So how do we do this? Okay, here, just a quick little takeaway. How do we do this? 
I like what John Mark Comer says in his book. He says that when he's thinking about what to do on that day, whatever day it is, we'll talk more about that later, then what you do is you run it through the filter, is this rest or is this worship? Right? So if it's something that's restful for you, then do it. If it's something that's worshipful for you, then do it. For some of you, you might get rest by going hiking or going skiing. For, for other people, you're going to get rest by sleeping in, right, and by taking a nap. So how does this look for, for you? I think it, it looks different for everybody. For the people that I know that have really been uh, successful in their lives, it's, it, it, you know, it, can be, it can be a 24-hour, it can be 12 hours, it can, but whatever it is, it's very intentional. Right? Some people, it's 5 p.m. on one night to 5 p.m. the next night. Some people, it's sun, sun up to sundown. Other people, it, it, it's just kind of a, um, you know, it's Sunday, you go to church, and then you take the rest of the day off. But everybody who says they're successful at this, what they do is they unplug, right? They unplug, they turn their phone off. Did you guys know these things actually turn off? You know? It's really interesting. You pop your case off, and there's this little button on the side. It's really beautiful. And you turn it off like that, and you get this little thing, and you swipe it, and it turns off. The problem is, as soon as it turns off, we feel like the world's going to end, don't we? Somebody needs me. Oh, my gosh. Like, I'm already panicking right now. It's only been off for, like, three seconds. (laughs) Reality is, it's okay. This thing actually does unplug and turn off. And so that's the reality, like unplug it. And for some of you, it might be different, but take a walk, take a nap, play a board game, read a fiction book, right? Read the Lord of the Rings, do something that's going to recharge your soul and then nap and then sleep and then eat delicious barbecue. It always works. I promise. It it always works. But this is this idea, right? Like if we can learn to unplug, then those other six days of the week, we can really get after it. We can, we can do all the things we need to do and actually have energy because that one day a week we unplugged and took a rest, and it was rest and worship. You know, psychology and neuroscience have done a lot of research on this idea of rest because we're so bad at it. They're like, ooh, we've discovered this amazing thing. It's called rest, and it's called a day off work. And so Forbes magazine did a study recently, and they looked at a lot of different studies, and one of them was really interesting. Um, it wasn't the only study they reviewed, but one of them, they, they took people who were in the hospital, and they, they talked to them after they got out of the hospital, and they found out that those people, after not, you know, being at work and being unplugged and having that little terrible TV that's like six inches, you know, in the corner, you guys know what I'm talking about? You can't really even watch TV in the hospital. And they found that when they get out of the hospital, they are so much more refreshed than they were when they went in. So they did all these studies, and here's what they found. They found that when you actually take time to unplug and rest, they find that it heals your body, it reduces stress, it deepens relationships, it boosts creativity, it improves productivity, and then it enhances decision-making. Now, I don't know about you, but I want all those things. Like, all those things sound really good, don't they? But see, here's my problem, and, and I'm guessing it might be your problem, too. That to get those things, we just download more apps on our phone, right? Well, I'm going to get a productivity app, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set my bedtime because I'm going to listen when my phone says it's time for bed. I'm really good at that, right? And then I'm going to wake me up at 530, and I'm going to snooze that puppy for like two hours. But right, we download these apps. Oh, help me manage my schedule better and all these things. And then what does it do? Nothing. Just eat storage on your phone, right? And that's really what it does. And so we find ourselves in this place where we want these things, and God is saying, hey, knock, knock, on page two of the Bible that I wrote 3,500 years ago, I gave you the solution to this. It's called rest, and it's called Sabbath. So what would it look like in our lives if we started to do this? And yeah, are we going to get it right? No, not at first. It's going to take a while. But what if we actually started to learn how to rest? So I think it could change our lives. So the, the first idea that we get on this is that God has called us to rest and worship. That's where we recharge. But there's a second thing. Notice 
here, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Notice what God says. This is the second set of Ten Commandments. It's the same commandments, but God changes his tune a little bit. I want you to see. When God writes the first commandment, Exodus 20, he's writing to this group of Israelites who just came out of Egypt, right? And he's saying, look, you need to observe the Sabbath because in Egypt, you guys came out and I've rescued you. And so now I've made this day blessed and I've set it apart and you need it. This is the rhythm for life. So don't work. Now, in Deuteronomy 5, this is the next generation of Israelites. They're getting ready to go into promised land soon. Most of the people that came out of Israel, out of Egypt, have passed away. These are like kids and grandkids. And so now he's reminding them of the Ten Commandments. But notice how he adds a little bit of a new flavor to this commandment. Notice he says, Deuteronomy chapter 5, Observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. That sounds the same. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work, your, you, your son, your daughter, your servants, your ox and donkey and your livestock, or the sojourner. Okay, look at verse 13. You shall remember that you were a slave. Okay, this is different. He's, he's adding something here. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Notice the difference. What is God doing? He's saying, remember the Sabbath day. He's saying that Sabbath is resistance to a culture of more. He said, you guys didn't live in Egypt. Let me tell you about Egypt. Egypt was a place that your grandparents, your parents and grandparents worked 24-7. They never got a day off. Egypt was a place that was all about building more temples and more, and more bricks and more houses, and they needed more, and they needed more, and they needed more. Be careful, because when we go into the promised land, your heart is going to want to do that same thing too. You are going to want more and more and more. And so that's why you need the Sabbath. Because when you force yourself to stop for a day, it puts a governor on the speed of life. So remember the Sabbath. The question is, is our culture any different than theirs was? How much like Egypt are we? Because let's be honest, don't we live in a culture of more? Don't we live in a, a culture that says do more, perform more, achieve more, have more? See, I think by definition, if you look at the culture of America, we live in a place that looks a lot like Egypt, right? More food, more square footage, more activities, more vacations, more trips, more shows, more this, more that. You know, there, there was a, an article that came out a while back. It said that on average in America, the average size of new home built is tripled the size of it was in 1950. That on average, one out of, in America, one out of ten Americans have a storage unit. It said that um, somebody might amen to storage units, right? Like, but but really, reality is, like, you know, a lot of people have storage units. Uh, 25% of people who have two-car garages can't park in their garage. And another 32% of people can only get one car in. So that means half of people can't park in their garage. And it said this, listen to this. Now, don't go home and count because it will drive you crazy. It said that on average, the American has 300,000 things in their home. That's crazy. And I don't think you're talking about cans of corn, right? Like, these are things. Like, we are in this, like, more, 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 more culture. And I think, Deuteronomy 5, God is telling us we need to resist that culture of more. Because what happens is that culture of more makes me buy into this lie that just something else is going to make me happy. One more thing is going to lead me to a place of joy. And I find myself restless, isolated, anxious, lonely. And by the way, all those statistics in America are going up. And that was even before the pandemic. 
There's an article this week that, that I read this week about hedonistic adaptation. Anybody ever heard of this before? Or, or the hedonistic treadmill? And here's the idea. That like in life, when good things or bad things happen to you, you end up by default going back to your previous level of happiness at some point. So, so just, just imagine somebody wins the lottery. This is the article I was talking about. Somebody wins the lottery. And man, you know, jackpot. They can buy whatever they want and go wherever they want. At some point, those lottery winners end up falling back to the level of happiness we, they were at before. It, it talks about like, let's say you live in Des Moines, Iowa, which if you're from Des Moines, I'm sure it's a very lovely place. But you move from Des Moines and you move to Denver and you're like, oh my gosh, look at this place. I can hike and ski and bike and do all these things. Are you more happy when you move to Denver? For a while. At some point, you get back to that standard level of happiness you were at before. They even say, and they, they study people who lost limbs in car accidents, and they had this really negative thing that happened, and they found that for a while, those people were really unhappy, but eventually their happiness rose back up to the level it was at before. So it's this hedonic adaptation. They call it the hedonic treadmill. That in life, we're just struggling, trying to get more, trying to get more. We get it. It's great. It feels good. We string, slide back to where we previously were at, and then we try to do it again. It's a rat race that we can never win. Again, that's why God says in Deuteronomy 5, remember where you were, where, where, where your, your ancestors came out of slavery. Don't go back. Don't allow yourselves to go back. So I think what God is saying, he's saying on day seven, I am giving you a gift I'm giving you a treasure. Don't fall into the mentality of being defined by what you do and what you have and what people say about you. Don't fall into the treadmill of trying to get more and more because it doesn't work. I don't have to have everything I want. Hey, let's do something kind of freeing. A little free. Okay, everybody kind of sit up in your chair, shoulders back. All right, here we go. I want you to say this with me. I don't have to have everything I want. Doesn't that just feel good? I mean, it just feels good. It's out there now. Husbands, wives, you guys heard it, right? <laughs> it's true, though. We don't. We don't have to have everything we want. Everything is going to be okay. So on the seventh day, God says, I'm going to rest, but I don't need to rest. I'm going to rest for you to show you a rhythm and a pattern for life. And here's what the Sabbath shows us. By, he, by, by God giving this to us, the Sabbath shows us that we need Jesus. Ultimately, the, the Sabbath is showing us that we can't do it on our own that we can't get what we think we need. The Sabbath reminds us that we need Jesus in our lives. Did, did you know that Jesus did the majority of his healings on the Sabbath? Why did he do that? Because God does his best work on the Sabbath. And when Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is inviting us in to a rest that we'll never be able to find on our own. It's a rest that we'll never be able to create on our own, that we'll never find on two hours on a day off or, or on a couple days of traveling on vacation. It's a rest that only comes from recognizing that Jesus is the answer that our souls need and that rest only is really found in him. One more John Mark Comer quote, and then we're going to wrap up. Notice what he says. He says, that's why Sabbath is an expression of faith. Faith that there is a creator and that he's good. We are his creation. This is his world. We live under his roof, drink his water, eat his food, breathe his oxygen. So on the Sabbath, we don't just take a day off from work. We take a day off from toil. We give him all of our fear and anxiety and stress and worry. We let it go. We stop ruling and subduing, and we just be. Doesn't that sound good, just to be? We remember our place in the universe so that we never forget there is a God, and I'm not him. Thank God I'm not him. 
because I would be a crummy, <laughs> I'd be a crummy king. When, when Courtney and I first got married, I want to invite the worship team back on stage. When Courtney and I first got married, the kids were little. We would go garage sale Saturday. Anybody else know garage sale Saturday? Yeah, oh, I see some hands went up quick, right? Garage sale, oh man, I'm out there. I got, I'm, I'm on the hunt for something special on garage sale Saturday. And I don't think we ever found anything that was really worth anything. But it's interesting how many people have found treasures in garage sales. Uh, a few years ago, there was a garage sale in New York, and somebody found this bowl, and they thought it was a nice bowl, and they bought it for $3. So they went and had it appraised because they, they, they noticed that it looked old. Turns out it was from um, a dynasty in, in ancient China, and when they sent it to auction, it sold for $2.2 million. $3, 2.2. Talk about in return on investment, right? That's pretty good. How about this one? So in, uh, I think it was 2007, there was a guy who was rummaging through a garage sale in Las Vegas, and he found this picture, and he bought it. Turns out it's a sketch of Rudy uh, Valley in the 1930, uh, 1930s singer by Andy Warhol, and he bought it for five bucks, and he hasn't sold it yet, but it's worth $2.2 million. And they found these at garage sales for $3, for $5. The reality is when you go on a treasure hunt, you'll never know what you find. And I think the truth is for you and me that when we come into Genesis 2 and we say, hey, I'm going to go on a treasure hunt and I'm going to try to figure this Sabbath thing out. I'm going to search for it and I'm going to find it. We're going to come up with a treasure that's far greater than anything we could ever imagine. Because it's what we need for our souls and it's what we need for our lives. It's rest. It's Sabbath and it's going to bring us to a place we never could have imagined. So here's my challenge as we wrap up. My challenge for you is take a Sabbath. You're not going to get it right at first, but let's do this together. Now, now for some of you, it might be saying, hey, look, Sunday's the day. I work Monday through Friday. Saturdays are busy days. Sunday's the day, and I can, and I can come to church, and it can be something refreshing, and I, I love being here to sing the songs and open God's word, and then I can go home, and I can unplug, and I can actually rest. See, for others of you, maybe you're going to say, look, I got five hours. Literally, I got Friday night. Okay, let's start there. And carve out that time. And when you do, though, be intentional. For others, you might say, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I've got the ability on Saturday to, to, to take some time. But, but whatever it is for you, start small with a plan to build into it. But whatever it is, be intentional. Turn off your phone. It's going to be okay. Unplug. Find something that's going to draw you closer to Jesus. Maybe that's the mountains. Maybe that's taking a nap. Maybe that's sitting at home and, and making spaghetti with your kids. But whatever it is, be intentional that it's, that it's rest and it's worship. Because when you do, God will begin to do something inside of you that will change the way you live. And your life will never be the same. I like what Walter Brueggemann says. Let me close with this quote. He says this. He says, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. Isn't that what we need?